Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit, it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. How's it? How are we going, folks? Welcome back, sports fans. This is Moving the Needle podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Nettling. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're going to go on a ride, often mountain bike based. Um, I've had some cool guests on lately. But this week should be really fun because it's a good good friend of mine from the race circuit. I wasn't always racing him, and you'll understand why, because he's often doing a little different discipline to what some of you always watch. But it's none other than a three times world champion in four cross mountain biking, as well as a man that is not scared of those downtown street races and crankworks titles as well. It's none other than Thomas Slavik. How are we doing? Hey, good to see you, Needles. Yeah, I'm going on fine. How are you? Yeah, good, man. You were saying uh, it's kind of off-season for you. You've had a pretty busy season, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it's like last seven seasons. It's just crazy. Like all with the crankworks and uh, urban races and floorcross races. It's just like always like 25 events a year, which is just insane. And it's, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a hard roller coaster with a lot of up, ups and downs, but yeah, I still love it. Still in the age of 35, loving every single minute of it. So yeah, good times. 
Yeah, I mean, 25 maybe doesn't sound crazy compared to a few other sports, but we have to condense it often into sort of the European summer, mostly. Maybe the street races, you sneak a few other months. But um, yeah, it gets intense because it's different countries, different bikes, different disciplines. You've got to stay healthy as well, huh? Yeah, that's really important. Like, uh, I used to be the guy who was always going like, full gas already in the trainings and risking everything there but now as i know there's so many races coming up and then you need to stay fit and uh not injured at the same time it's uh it's very important to stay to stay fit and to stay healthy so so with all the traveling uh, different time zones you know the stress around it lost bikes crashing and stuff it's it's difficult but i'm i'm, I'm used to it and you know it it's uh it's a part of a game so it's uh it's always good fun yeah, I mean, I obviously knew you from back in the day as a four-cross athlete. Now, some of these youngsters that might listen might not even, like, know the sport as well as I do because, you know, I was there from before it was four-cross and it was dual, so two people on one track racing oh, yeah. each other. You know, it to me, it's always been and is an exciting sport. It just didn't quite get that mainstream traction we maybe thought of. And, mm-hmm. and that's where you made your name in the sport. You know, you've got that Red Bull beanie on. I mean, you... You became mm-hmm. an absolute top performer in that, let's call it a niche discipline. But it, mm-hmm. it never quite stayed there. And we've had some interesting developments. What was it like, you know, putting heart and soul into this sort of sport and then, you know, UCI taking away some of the privileges to race a World Cup series? And I guess my question is like having to adapt and become an a way more all-rounded athlete like you said there's street mm-hmm. racing there's crankworks there's there's everything you do now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know it's um it's crazy how you kind of focus on one discipline as i as i focused on four cross and and honestly i have to say like bmx and four cross mostly four cross definitely made me a rider i am now like um really i can win crankworks races those urban races and then it's just really big thanks to four cross in this way and it was crazy to watch like the development and progression of the sport. Like everyone was there focused, World Cup teams, World Cup in four cross, and then suddenly no one saw it coming and they just said, Okay, twenty eleven, four cross is not there anymore. It's not a World Cup anymore. So so we were all like in a shock, like, what's going on? What's what's what are we gonna do? Like, you know, it's like you going for last ten years to work and suddenly just the work doesn't exist, you know? So in this way, it was really frustrating. And, uh, um, but to be honest, this was not the reason why I was kind of going to those crankworks races and urban races. I was always trying to find new challenges, kind of find new goals as I won the World Cup, World Champs in four cross. Uh, I'm always this kind of a guy who always set up some kind of a goal and and I'm just going for it. And in four cross, there was nothing else you know so so i decided to try those urban races and then crankworks and stuff but um you know the decisions from uci were just really sometimes really hard to swallow and uh hard to accept but after those years i've learned like um they can do anything what they want to do and they don't even need to have the reason for it you know so so i kind of swallowed it and and when i when I saw this year, they decided like there's not going to be any more world champs, which was still there on the on the on the race circuit. They just decided this year like it's it's gone. It, it was just it was a really sad moment, really frustrating moment. But I, I wasn't surprised, you know. 
the reasons what they're saying were just, um, I would say, uh, not 100% true. I don't know what's actually behind it because uh, uh, the organizers are organizing those events like by themselves. They pay the money to the UCI. And nowadays you can win the rainbow jersey even in, I don't know, in, in e-bikes racing, you know. So I don't understand why they just didn't kept it going on uh, at least at the, at the world champs, but uh, I'm probably not the right person to answer these questions, even though we tried to reach UCI and, you know, in this way, I, I need to do the same thing as uh, is in 2011. I need to swallow it. But uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm doing so many events and so many races that it doesn't change anything for me. It just doesn't change the, the, uh, support of the sponsors or the attitude of my sponsors and fans but but it's just uh it's just weird and it doesn't make sense to me kind of you know uh you see every time at the as uh four cross races were at the same time as the dh races at the same places you always could see there was so many fans so many spectators and it's a it's a sport for spectators it's not a big community around it but the spectators are really important and i mean four cross is right for them it's easy to do it's uh done in two hours it's uh action from the start to the finish until the last meter and anything can happen in focus so i, I really like the thrill and honestly i really love to watch even the like uh amateur categories fighting on the track i, I really love that and, uh, and i really like the like the format of the sport as you can see now as at the olympic games they have a ski cross border cross and you see that format works great and uh, i think in mountain bikes could be working also pretty well but we just need someone who kind of brings the sport more into the media and more into the life you know because it's it's a good sport for spectators it's fun for riders and i just don't see any reason why you see i dropped it but they did it and that's it dude but your attitude towards is incredible like you've just adapted and and pushed yourself into these new yeah. goals um but that is frustrating when you work like so hard and you and you must admit you have a really good skill set for four cross i mean you won mm-hmm. and you win seven out of the seven events this year you know maybe some other yep. riders have moved on and, and you've just you've basically taken that sport and put it on your shoulders and <clears throat> and kept it going but i was watching your event it's super exciting and to see the the youngsters yeah. ride because i you know i did a bit of four cross but i was always focusing on downhill but you're right when we're at an event and the spectators come to watch the downhill, maybe, but they're there with their family and they come for three days, you know, what mm. do they do after qualifying of downhill? Now there's a couple hours. It's an awesome event to have there in person, right? Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and maybe it breeds the the next mountain biker that, that the youngster can't do downhill, but maybe it could do sort of four cross to start. Um yeah, it is sort of sad to see it go officially now if they're saying there's no world champs. Like, I'm not invested in it, but it is kind of a sad day. It's basically the, the death of Forecross as we know it. But mm-hmm. you have this event, um, which looks so cool. You've got, like, the wall ride. You've got the big jumps. You even go in the woods with roots and rocks. Like, that's a proper mountain bike Forecross. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was exactly the thing. Like, I decided to do this event after UCI kind of dropped uh, uh, dropped uh, world uh, like focus from UCI World Cup back in 2011. And I remember those words. Like everyone was saying, "Oh man, focus is just for um, 
for BMX riders and it's, it doesn't have anything in common with mountain bikes and stuff. And, and I was always at that time like, hey, um, we need some good organizers. We need some sick tracks. It's having so much potential, but no one's just opening the potential kind of for the riders, you know? So it was really cool as back in the day, far, far, a long time ago as as there was a DH World Cup and DH riders were racing a four cross. And I understand this is not doable at this time. Like DH riders cannot race four cross. That's hundred percent impossible because physically you cannot stand this. You are risking so much more when you're a DH rider and you in, in injure yourself in, in, in four cross. It just doesn't make sense. So everything got so much more professional in those last decade kind of and uh, and if you want to be good in a sport you need to focus on just one sport or just not like doing uh, two events in in one day that's for sure so uh for that i i decided to create my event which is like um uh first of all i wanted to create kind of like a dream track for the for all the riders to have all the essentials as everyone was talking about before you know like a huge jumps, uh, rock gardens, war rides, you know, moguls and all this stuff. Like what I saw in, in the previous years at the, at the World Cups, I was just like, I just put it, the most amazing things I put into one track and created a really difficult track, which is almost impossible to ride on a hardtail bike, which is open up the options for the market of, of full suspension bikes as everyone is now selling full suspension bikes and, and the hardtails are not a, not a thing anymore. And then on this dream track, I tried to create like a, like an event, which is having everything kind of like, it's not just that you do the race, you win the race, you wave to the crowd on the podium and you go home. It's just like, uh, all inclusive kind of like, uh, you have, a uh, every year we have like a freestyle show in there. We're planning a freestyle motocross show in there. We're having like a, uh, Red Bull Air Race show, like Martin Chonka, the the winner of Red Bull Air Race, is flying above us with a plane, and and it's kind of like a really fun day on the hill, racing four cross, listening to the good bands, uh, then of course having the after party, warm up party, and everything. Like if you come there to my event for three days from Friday until Sunday, it's nonstop action, nonstop fun. And that's why, that's why we're having so many spectators over there because, um, it's also like a big, uh, like a, let's say like a, like a, almost like a music festival at, at our place. And every year uh, in those three days, we are, we are having over last year, we were having over 12,000 spectators and around 8,000 spectators at a race day at the same time on a track. And you know, you know how it is to race in, in front of such a big crowd, you know, it's, it, it brings me just goosebumps now when I'm just talking about it, you know? So, and you know, we created this event in Czech Republic, which is a small country in a small city, which is having 50,000 uh, inhabitants. And there are people coming from all over Europe to watch there. So, so I mean, the potential of Fortress is definitely there. We just need, uh, more organizers like that to to create kind of a, like an infrastructure and then i think it would be like for me like if i would be i don't know like uh, if i would be some kind of big broadcast uh, channel or i would be a red bull or someone i would take this amount of money invested for two years to the sport created the infrastructure and i'm sure it, it would work it would work 110 percent then the then the sponsors would be interested the bike brands and 
you know, once you're having at this moment, once you're having the media on your side and, and just having the views, you can kind of like uh, promote yourself, sell yourself at the event like like we do at Crankworks, then it makes all sense. And I think the, the format of Forecross is, is really cool for it. So uh, next year, 2023, we're having like a, it's 10 year anniversary of my event. We're going to bring uh, uh, Forecross Revelations, as we call it. We're going to bring it on steroids for next year. And I think you have something to look forward because this is going to be great fun. We're already confirming some big names for the event, like uh, riders from Crankworks, riders from DH World Cup, uh, old school legends like Jost Wichmann or Guido Chuk planning to to invite them. So it would be good to, to see those guys celebrate the 10 years of uh, biggest four-cross event, I would say. But it's you were you were saying all the exciting riders you're gonna have. You're gonna have some downhill names yeah. at your Revelation yeah. Forecross on steroids, and uh, mm-hmm. that's you've you've got <laughs> me excited. You've got me excited. I actually want to come to your event because hey, coming? I, I saw. I, would invite I, I don't know. I this need to see my invite. Man. This is the invitation. Oh, live on the I podcast. Will one special for you. <laughs> I'm there, dude. I'll come and present, commentate. Maybe we do a live podcast. I. But well, I was looking into your 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 event, and I'd seen it, and we'd seen some famous crashes from that event as well, which is exciting. Oh yeah, it's part of the sport. Yeah, we don't want anyone to get hurt. But you know, to me, I was trying to figure it out. Why did it die, or why did it not gain the traction? But I think in person, that event, you've hit the nail on the head. It's like a festival, right? And and you can put it with yeah. other mountain bike events. Uh, you don't need that much space. Yes, you need money to build the track. But you can mm-hmm. invest once and tweak it a bit, and you have a great track like at Val de Sol. Maybe not mm-hmm. the world's best track, but it's basically there year round, and it's not a lot of money the second, third, fourth year. So it really is a cool in person festival style. Um, and I wish you all you know, the best. It, it sounds so exciting, but I've been wondering if you could go back in time, because you need, say, money and maybe your experience and a broadcaster, which mm-hmm. could have been Red mm-hmm. Bull. Mm-hmm. What do you think could have been done to maybe cement Forecross or have put it on the map? Maybe that time is, has gone, come and gone. But if you could go back in time to get it mainstream. I think at that time uh, when the Forecross was kind of on, on hype and everyone loved it, I think it was like, let's talk about like the years 2005 until 2010, let's say, that period of time. We would just need to build up crazy tracks with exactly the style of uh, of the event as as I'm doing the event now. If you would have like seven events like this a year on different locations, I mean, it has to be not just Europe, but also North America, like Canada, South America, and these places. If you would do this and you would build up a crazy tracks, you know, it's, then it would be like, then it would be just probably the sport would be really big at this moment. I, I can, I'm almost sure about it. Yeah, the tracks got pretty shit. Huh? The tracks just deteriorated yeah. and they didn't invest yeah. in it. Hey, yeah. they just got yeah. smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. And that was like, that was well, exactly the thing which was starting to piss off those DH guys, uh, piss off uh, all the kind of like mountain bike fans. They were just looking at the track, which was sick, which was looking like really amazing. But it was just pedaling. It was just the skills of BMX 
you know, racing. So if you were, if you were like really good BMX rider and you would just jump from a small bike to a big bike and you would go to the track, you would be probably the one to, to win that race. And that's not correct. Now I'm sure, like I'm 110% sure now if you take the best BMX racer in the world and you put him on the start of, of, uh, of our race in Czech Republic, it's impossible. It's impossible to make him win that race. It's just un- not possible. It's just, uh, you know, you need so much downhill skills. You need to know so much about your bike setup and it just, it just, it just doesn't work like that. Like you could be, he would be probably for sure first out of a gate in a first corner, which is very important, which is like 60% of a race. But then it's, it would be just a big hunt from the other guys behind and they would pass him on the big jumps or on the rock garden or on the wall, ride Or on the flat corners, you know, just on the flat corners where it's nothing with just, uh, just the grass corners. But then, uh, if you're BMX rider, you're not able to, to, to be there. I'm not saying like if the BMX guy would be training for it for a few months and really trying to put the effort into it, uh, then he, he could be a really dangerous guy. But, um, I think at this moment, there won't be any BMX guy putting an effort to a sport, uh, which is just getting kicked out from world cups kicked out from world champs and now we just had the the world series races which are honestly big fun i really love it still the spectators are there the fun factor is there but it's just not growing kind of you know and and once you have a uci on your side it's a big boost for the event and it's a big boost for for the audience and it's a big boost for for just everyone because they they start to take the sport serious but once uci is dropping it they're not taking it too serious. And that's that's also same thing uh, regarding the bike brands, you know. There's not many, like, I think even like 90% of, of, of people of, of uh, mountain bike industry, they, they don't even know that Forecross exists at this moment. But it does, it does. And it would be, it would be really cool. Like, my question would be, like, how would people take Forecross if it would be like, if Crankworks would create one or two events, I don't know, in Whistler or in New Zealand and build up the four-cross track, which is at the end, the four-cross track, if you want to build it, it's not a big amount of money. It's like, you need just like, I don't know, let's say $20,000 and you have it. It's, it's, it's simple as that. But the thing, if you, if you do, for example, if I compare it to my event, then all the money are the things around it, you know, kind of uh, the concerts, uh, the air shows, uh, the security and everything. And then it's like, it's not 20,000 where you can build up the track, but then you need uh, 200,000 to make it work, you know? Yeah, but the, that that cost is already there if you talk about crank work. So surely, and this is no disrespect, but surely a four-cross track with the right riders and a big track is more exciting than pump track. But they build... Some of them build the oh, pump track. We're going, we I don't know. I just have a. I just have a. Well, I have a question. Ice. I just have a question. Like I'm not saying don't do pump track. I'm just saying, I don't know. Four dudes battling out crashes, big jumps. I'm wondering. It's more. It's costs more, but I wonder if it's more exciting for the fan base. Hey, do you like to watch uh, Supercross? Well, yeah, of course. 
So imagine to build up like a huge track with big jumps where everyone is fighting. The biggest names in the sport are they're fighting for their first spot. And, you know, at the end, it's it's just the it's just the same thing. It's just shorter. It's on mountain bikes. It's down the hill. But this is this. this but this like, is what was sold rider. back in the day, but we didn't do it. Did you remember that yeah. event? There was the yeah. rumor of that yeah. event. I think Todd Barber that does Todd Barber that does Rampage. Yeah. We were all signed up. Uh, yeah. We were we were signed up to do this event in Livigno in Italy. It was going to be a giant exactly. downhill exactly. four cross. The concept How was, was it there. How, what, what was the name? What was the name? Uh, I don't know uh, what the name was, Red but Bull. we were going to go. It was going to be this crazy yeah. downhill four cross, mass start. It was crazy. It was crazy. I saw some pictures, and and the idea of it was just absolutely insane. I I loved it. I loved that idea. It was like really. Four cross, like double size, triple size on big bikes. And I think it was supposed to be in six riders, I guess. Not four, but six or maybe eight or something. Yeah, maybe six. It was a big number. It was a big number. It was a big number. So, I mean, this was exactly it. Like, this is what people want to see. Like, if you go... uh, Now, this is not a disrespect to Pump Track. I really like Pump Track, but... This is the thing which I'm missing the in pump track racing, and it's drama. That's what I miss there. And okay, when you're when you're alone on the track on the pump track, you're just rolling, going fast. There is a in those thirty seconds, there is a difference in between uh, first rider and top ten rider. The difference is 0.2, 0.3 seconds. Uh, ordinary person cannot even see the difference. But if you have six guys or four guys battling on the track fighting for the first place elbow to elbow uh you have a leader uh, then the guy passes him in the second corner then in the third corner they slow down fourth guy passes them around it's a drama and that's a thrill for me and I, I and i love to watch it and that's exactly what's happening in in uh, in supercross you know you you go first you just make a mistake and the guys are going over you and and the people in the stands are standing up yelling holding their hands and and that's it and you will never see this in pump track or you will never see this uh, somewhere where you're just alone on a track dh is a different story dh is just, just so gnarly that you don't even need to have the other riders around but but i mean this is really thing which i think is working and i think as I see the people here who never in my event who never saw this event before and they go there and they honestly talk to me one week after and they're like, holy shit, how could I miss an event like this the years before? It's so much fun to watch. I don't know what's going on, what bikes you're riding on. I don't know who's the best guy, who's the worst guy, but I really enjoyed every minute watching it. And I think that's that's about it. Imagine you bring it to a TV. That's the thing. You need to even like the the people outside of mountain bike industry. They would love it, and they love the border cross. They love the ski cross. So this is the this is the thing which is still the. I'm I'm all the time saying that potentially is there, but no one's using the potential. Yeah, I wonder how we get. I mean, you do need. You mentioned something. You said the big names were going to do it, or I'm going to get some big names, and and I think we have to be realistic. You're a big name in the sport, but you went from four cross to urban, and you've and we'll talk about it. You're not scared mm-hmm. to be in the bar. You've got a character that's sort of bigger than the bike rider, right? You've got the Red Bull sponsorship and and you helping with four cross. So you're not just there for a race result. You bring more to the sponsors that I think they see. The challenge is it's hard to get the sponsors all involved when they don't make the bikes that work for four cross. Or maybe they don't even sell that many bikes that work for pump track. 
But we've got a few names in mm -hmm. pump track. Thomas Lemoyne, you, Cheney Ganey can start being a name because he mm -hmm. can win, right? So that's you can give that to the sponsors. So maybe a bigger bike, six-man or four-man event needs to be tested. Mm -hmm. We need to get some money on the table because we can sell that to sponsors because we – we're going to use downhill bikes and we're going to see if if you can do it in the right time of year and you get the Loic Bruni there or you get uh, some of the names that are willing to take the risk in an off-season or try one. Uh, I also, I don't know, call me and you the eternal optimists of the sport. But some sort of mass yeah. downhill, mass forecross with jumps, with whatever, and maybe – also, you take the start out of it. If the start's so important in the full cross guys and the BMX mm -hmm. guys, you know, they have their advantage. Um, so maybe there's something mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I, I, as I said, I truly believe in the in the sport. I truly believe in the, in the future of it. But there needs to be someone coming in the show, bring the money on the table, and do it. But I would love to do it. But you know, I'm still I'm still a racer. Uh, first of all. I'm also an organizer, but you know it's so much things like to or I'm I'm organizing the whole event from scratch. Uh, we're already now having a, like a big team who's working on it, but it's still me kind of who's bringing the ideas, who uh, who's bringing the new stuff into the game, who's trying to like progress the event kind of, and it's killing my brain and my time. You know, I'm just in the meantime where I should be thinking about how to get faster in dual slum, how to get faster in pump truck races. I'm at the same time thinking, oh, what, what band I should bring to the to my event to make it even better, this one or that one. And that's so many like small puzzles to do it right. And if you do it right, it, it's it's great. But but I'm running out of time kind of like, I'm not having that much time left for it. So would be great. Maybe when I, when I finish racing, you know, in the far future, I hope. Uh, I would be maybe the person who's going to be fighting for four girls and I will be able to bring more money on the table and, and just do do the show because I, I'm, I'm, I'm really realistic about it and I'm really positive about it that would that people would, would love it, you know. Imagine uh, imagine those guys like Ginny Chanet, Adrian Laurent and, and these all guys are super fast guys, super good guys, but they were created kind of from Crankworks. Crankworks kind of organized the best event in the world for all-round mountain bike riders. And even from such a small kind of event, I, I don't want to say that the pump track is a small thing, but, but pump track is, first of all, uh, like a kid's track for riding next to the next to the kind of like a playground, you know. Uh, we use it for the kids to, to ride there. Here, every, every city is having this kind of pump track. It's made, uh, it's, I don't know, it's uh, 15 seconds long. And, you know, they created the stars out of it, like uh, new mountain bike icons like Adrian and Ginny. And, and that's just because of, of Crankworks. And, and, and imagine if you can do this kind of like media effort and create event which is big like Crankworks, then you start creating the forecross stars. But at this moment, we have uh, so many good forecross riders, but they don't have a name because they... Uh, you cannot create an icon in Forecross at this moment once you're not racing the Crankworks, urban races, and this stuff because it doesn't have the it doesn't have the publicity, it doesn't have the media coverage, and that's a big problem. That's a big problem for the riders. That's a big problem for the sport. And 
for if I would be a bike brand, if I would be bike brand, I would never support anyone anyone racing for cross because he's not gonna deliver the the publicity and media. Even though he would be racing on an enduro bike, which now most of the guys is racing on the enduro bikes because the the tracks are way tougher now. But still, it doesn't bring it doesn't make a person to go there and buy the enduro bike because you just don't see it on the internet that much. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, even you, you're invested yeah. and emotionally tied to Fourcross, and you're saying it's tough to warrant sponsoring an only Fourcross rider. And and some some people don't even understand the economics of downhill. I mean, some bike brands don't sell enough downhill bikes to make it that worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Or or maybe compared to enduro and other things, but it's mm-hmm. the F one of mountain bikes. It's the fastest you can go downhill. That's down what hill. I wanted to say. And That's it, what I wanted to and say. And it's it's not. I don't want it to be F one. That's a different sport. But it's a simple way to explain to someone that is the F one of mountain biking. It's as fast as you can go down a hill, but you would have to yeah. create that sort of media hype and that sort of attention mm-hmm. around a sport. Mm-hmm. But then it would have to get on TV. It would have to be exciting uh, for it to grow. Um, and you said a good thing there. I think Crankworks has done a great job of taking uh, a fundamental uh, asset or or track that we use, which is a pump track. Even I used it to train for downhill. And you can a kid can go on it, a newbie can go on, an experienced person can go on it and have fun. And then they've taken that to the masses and put it on a broadcast, which is cool, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it could be exciting. could be exciting with the right person. Mm-hmm. You're probably the right person, but I agree. It's not the right time. Um, you've still got There a lot of racing, as you from said. my side. I'm listening. One, one question. When we talk about downhill as a Formula One of mountain biking, which is 110% true, this is it. Like no matter how many DH bikes going to be sold, it's Formula One. No one cares. Money is there. Publicity is there. Media coverage is there. It's perfect. And now the question is, would be the DH racing in the same position and same hype and everyone would love it that much as they do now if there wouldn't be Red Bull TV? Uh, I think Red Bull TV factually has progressed the sport 100%. Would there have been someone so else earlier or not? But uh, you can't mm. argue against it. I would never argue against it. They have progressed the sport and got it. Yeah, exactly. I that's what, that's what I, mean. I don't know if mainstream's the right, maybe a bit mainstream, but definitely to the masses mm. of the core demographic. Yeah. But I think yeah. you're asking because you think if a proper broadcast was done on a race series, i.e. Fourcross, could mm-hmm. we have increased mm-hmm. it? Yeah, definitely. Yes. But with the right tracks, because otherwise you tune in and exactly. don't get the viewers. Exactly. So it's like a chicken you before the right egg tracks. thing. You know yeah, that analogy, yeah, chicken the, before the, the egg? Yeah. <laughs> so what do we have first? The crazy tracks and the crazy riders? Or do we have the broadcast coming in and pushing something? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And and I think at this moment like like the the times are changing kind of you know as with the social media and uh, back in the day there was no cell phones uh we were living like a, our normal lives but now we're we're living the lives on the internet also kind of you know and i think at this moment it's so much important and so crucial to have like a live stream like this like red bull tv was doing for uh dh world cup that I think that was the the main thing which created 
kind of such a hype about the DH and like, like of course the DH deserves it, hundred ten percent. But I think this is in my eyes, this is the biggest thing because I was I'm always like all my friends all over the world. Doesn't matter if it's in South America or if it's in Czech Republic. Like, oh, it's uh, it's DH World Cup at Red Bull TV tonight. Oh, let's watch. Okay, let's let's buy beers and let's watch. That's it. That's cool. And everyone's watching, and it's and then that's that's what's also kind of creating the sport you know now you see on on social media on instagram you can see uh riders uh who cannot ride a bike getting paid you know because they just create some kind of nice content nice things uh it, it has kind of a kind of a value for the brands and you know it's just this this kind of like um internet thing and and uh and uh media thing and i mean at this moment, if you have a great event, great sport with uh, so much potential, and you don't have a broadcast for it, it just doesn't work. It, you will never, you never get on top, and you will never get uh, four cross in the books without Red Bull TV or someone else doing it, without Pink Bike sharing it, and without uh, anybody else just uh, doing the same thing. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, back in the day, it was Eurosport, and that's when we had outside industry sponsors yeah. because they could show you, mm-hmm. you know, the distribution to TV channels to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe my late grandma could have by accident gone through the sport channel <laughs> trying to get to a cooking channel, and she would see the sport. Who is this crazy person on a on a? They can understand downhill as well, as much as it's broadcast. Mm-hmm. Once it's on the TV, which is key, you need broadcast. Then you can say, okay, but I've ridden a bicycle and this is not a terrain mm. I would ever ride a bicycle and this is crazy. That's And that's Red Bull Rampage. How many of my yeah. new school yeah. new yes. school mountain bikers say, uh-huh. oh, I watched your sport. It's where you ride off the cliffs. I'm like, eh, it's not quite my sport. Um, mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. exactly what I did. But yes, that is a mountain bike and they are throwing themselves off cliffs. So you're right. If there was a broadcast and they put two years in and unlimited budget and we would have this conversation mm-hmm. in two years and some friends would say, dude, that mountain bike sport where there's those six guys jumping those jumps mm-hmm. and then there's a rock garden and then they take each other out. And I know this guy won, but you should have seen third and fourth. That was insane. Um, exactly, there's, exactly. There's probably some merit there. Maybe, maybe the sport is not lost for good. Yeah, I mean, like, imagine that that – now I'm a bike brand. I'm, I don't know, I'm whatever bike brand I am. Uh, there is a broadcast by Red Bull TV and you coming to the bike brand as a Red Bull TV and you say, okay, hey, we had, uh, I don't know, half a million viewers watching this event for one and a half hour. Do you want your advert there? Do you want to have your bikes in there? You, do you want to have your riders in there? I would be, hell yeah. I want to have my riders in there because half a million of people are going to see that. So... I will put money into it. I will put the money into the riders to to do the job, to be performing well in the sport, and to uh, you know to uh, promote the bike brand. And that's exactly what what is it about. And now we have no one or nowhere to promote it. So so this is the issue, I think. So that's, that's it. Does um then what what's your view on the street races because i obviously went to some as a downhiller and it was scary as shit mm-hmm. and not safe right we saw bernard kurz we've <laughs> yeah. seen your crashes holy shit we've seen shit. we've seen bernard kurz one i'll send you my one from valparaiso um but something oh, about you were it valparaiso it's yeah correct. yeah in 2000 what year 
2009, maybe. Okay, so it was, I still wasn't racing there. I was I started but, in 2013. Uh, I, I technically didn't get to the race because I think in practice or quali, I clipped a pole and had one of the biggest crashes ever uh, onto oh, a concrete shit. onto a concrete road that was so steep near the top that they put grooves in the road so that the cars can get. Gripped. Oh yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. So it didn't go well for me. Rider error, but there, there's just so much shit you can hit, right? But that sport, if you crazy guys carry on, and there's mm-hmm. broadcast now, <clears throat> that's an interesting avenue, taking sort of mountain bikes to the streets, to the city. I, I understood that. I mean, back then, social media was a lot different, a lot smaller, maybe more Facebook and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I remember the friend request. I think you had to get a friend request. It wasn't like a follow. Dude, it was nuts after that event, going mm-hmm. down to Chile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the thing what we were talking about before. You know, uh, now few of those races, especially Valparaiso, Valparaiso, were already broadcasted at Red Bull TV. And this is the crazy sport, crazy concept, uh, crazy skills from the riders. And people like to watch it. And now they showed it to the public through the uh, live uh, broadcasts. And people are loving it. And it's one of the things why I'm doing this because my sponsors are, hey, Thomas, uh, you should probably do that one because it's pretty cool. People are loving it. YouTube is, is exploding from these videos. Uh, our uh, like uh, possible buyers of our bikes are loving it because you're riding on a bike which they can buy for Enduro. And that's exactly the thing. They created a kind of a, kind of a new sport. And I mean, this sport will definitely go more and more into the public because because people are loving it actually and 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 the sponsors see it and they are pushing from all the sides they're pushing now so uh, that's also one of the reasons why my all efforts at this moment are just to prepare as hard and as well uh, as good for those races because it's coming uh, beginning uh, of February 2023 uh, like a series of these big races and yeah and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a big deal I'm really like putting a lot of effort into it because uh, I truly believe it's gonna it's gonna be uh, a lot of good riders, a lot of good media, and and uh, and the sponsors are loving it also. So it's all just clicking in. Yeah, it reminds me of that time. I think it was sort of becoming popular. And remember Philip Polk, who was famously winning a lot of oh, them, yes. and he helped with a tour, which you now helped with a four cross world tour, and mm-hmm. you keep the sport alive. And now it's coming back full circle, hopefully for you keeping mm-hmm. Fulcross mm-hmm. alive, keeping your skill alive. And mm-hmm. um, now this, this city downhill, you know, it makes sense if there's a series and then the, there's a consistent group of riders with names in the sport, with sponsors mm-hmm. that want him t- to be there. Um, mm-hmm. What, uh, how many, oh, can we talk about it or how many races might there be or is there definitely a big goal for them to be like an official world series or what do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, there was always, uh, like uh, last year already, there was uh, uh, Red Bull Valparaiso Cerro Then there was uh, Red Bull Montserrat Cerro which was uh, Colombia in Bogota. And uh, now the plan is uh, probably there's going to be showing up some more races. And if they put it all together, we were already racing already this summer also in... Uh, in, 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 in Peru, in Lima, which was uh, Red Bull Miraflores, Cerro Abajo. So you could see like uh, three years ago, there was just one race, which was Valpo. And now it's already three races in there. And 
people are liking it. Uh, you know, you share you share the video uh, of your helmet cam, and that's the most viewed videos you can probably have on your YouTube channel, which is good for the brand, which is good for you. And mm-hmm. and honestly, everyone is asking me like, "Oh, Slavic, how is it to ride those uh, ride those uh, urban races? Is it even fun? Is it just is, isn't it just scary and stuff?" And I honestly love it. I really love it. Yeah, it's, it's it's good fun. It's it's yeah, it's a little bit scary because you know if you make a mistake, the consequences are way worse than anywhere else. And uh, to be honest, at this point, uh, if you were racing three years ago, you could go ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent, and you are still able to win. But now there is so many good riders and so many fast riders coming into the show. That you need to go 110 percent, otherwise you're not really gonna... even in and street that, racing. That's, that's scary, dude. I'm always like, I'm always saving. Like, I'm always in a training. I'm trying like section by section, just put like full effort in it, like 100 percent. But I never do like a full speed one run. I just do it in in a in a in a main event in the finals because it's just too scary. It's just too scary. And as we talked about before, like you have 25 other races coming up. I'm trying to be as safe as possible in these things and and trying to kind of use my head sometimes. Uh, uh, just, you know, sometimes I'm saying it's it's better to slow down than, than to kill yourself. So sometimes I, I prefer to slow down in sound section, lose half a second in there and then gain it somewhere else. But uh, those things are starting to be really scary and people are, are getting hurt and they're crashing. So it's, it's very now uh, all the organizers are really careful about, uh, about the rider's choice. You know, uh, it's not like you can come to, to Valpo and go racing. It, it just doesn't work like that. You need to be the guy on the list, the guy who knows how to ride a bike, who's safe, who's not too crazy. Because no one, as I can see it from also from the point of an organizer, no one wants to have a crazy guy who's gonna like almost kill himself on the event, and uh, it's so it's really important to choose correct writers for for the show. And um, yeah, it's 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 scary, but it's fun at the same time. So you need to sometimes really uh, use your head before you do. And and uh, there's so many like now it's harder in the way there's so many writers from South America who are just focusing on this, who are just riding in the streets and you can see more and more videos like uh, Pedro Ferreira and and, uh, uh, Camilo Sanchez uh, who are like riding just in the cities only, nothing else. That's where they train. Freaking fast. Yeah, Yeah, I don't even know these names yet. I'm clearly going to get to know them very, very quickly because – I was thinking yeah. of you saying, oh, you know, there's more riders, there's more events. So as the experience level increases, the talent level and, and how hard everyone is going because they get more and more comfortable. When we first went to these races, say the first time I went to Lisbon, remember Lisbon downtown? was a, I, This is yes, before you raced. I remember, yeah. This is a, it yeah, was an yeah. incredible was event, cool. right? Good mm-hmm. prize money. Yeah. It was fun. It was a week away from the World Cups and all the top guys would go and – the track was probably not as long, not as steep, and there were stairs, mm-hmm. but you know, less maybe railings and things. Still dangerous. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first year trying hard and getting smoked, and then the second year I would get a little bit better, and then maybe the third year I was quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. maybe start putting in some results, but then the level would be up, mm-hmm. and the top guy would be going faster. So that's pretty yep. gnarly to hear 
even at a street race, you can't hold back. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing. Like, um, uh, there is like, imagine like you're a European rider, like as if you're a European rider, you're not able almost to train in the cities, like not here in Czech Republic, not anywhere else in Europe, I guess, because, uh, there would be always everyone like going there and telling you, Hey, you cannot do this. It's, it's dangerous. You can hurt someone. You can hurt yourself. Get out of here. So it doesn't work like that. But in South America, um, when I'm, when I was doing some races in Colombia, my pretty amazing experience with urban racing was in Manizales. Uh, it's the place uh, where Marcelo Gutierrez is from yes, and his yes, brother. Yes. And, and there is a really, really nice uh, mountain bike background and especially urban mountain bike background. And they having like a, a few courses there, which they are riding on almost daily basis. They just ride it and no one is like, urban no one cares. Yes, you have a five <laughs> minute track. No, no way. one cares. You're just riding in the streets. If you're in the street and someone's walking, they just go on the side immediately. You don't break, you just keep it going. And they're just cheering for you. They're like, hey, go, go, go. They Sometimes they just sit on the, when they see you riding, they just sit on the uh, on the side, on the benches, drinking beer and, and cheering for you. And it, you cannot do this here in Europe. Definitely not. So, so these guys are riding there, really, I said, on a daily basis. And even though... <clears throat> Uh, you're, you have a, like, if you're a world cup rider in DH or you're a four cross rider winning the race this or crankworks guy, and you come there, there are guys who are having no name in worldwide mountain bike industry and they will be, they will, they will be way faster than you and you will be watching them and you're going to be like, holy shit, how, how come they go that fast? And and it's sometimes really frustrating. Like uh, you see these guys and then uh, the only thing which is kind of saving our butt is that we have the experience and they usually do a lot of mistakes than in the race runs. But once they learn how to keep those things together, we have no chance. <laughs> That's really, great. I'm really, not surprised, but really, because back, yeah. I was going to ask, so you said the safety is getting better. But now more and more of these uh, riders have seen the events and are now maybe were very young and maybe got mm -hmm. a bike and now they're practicing. Yeah. All they mm -hmm. know of mm -hmm. mountain biking is urban riding. Mm -hmm. So that's all they do. Of course, they're going to probably be better than someone that doesn't mm -hmm. ride. It's a different riding style. It's And like you said, your Absolutely. mentality, if you can get comfortable with uh, a stair railing one inch from your bars, you know, it's, it's a lot... Mm -hmm you're going to be a lot faster than someone like you that's coming there two, three times a year. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I remember just, uh, I was riding with some DH world cup rider. I don't remember who was it. it it's been a long time ago, I think in, in Whistler and we were going those, uh, streets next to, next to the, next to the bike park. We're going just on the, like on the pavements and on a, on the regular roads and just, we were going as fast as possible down the hill and just on the asphalt in turning, I was absolutely disappearing in the speed than the other guys because, because I know what to expect from my bike. I know what to expect from my suspension on the, on the, on just on the tarmac or on the asphalt. And this is, this is it. Like it's completely different riding, completely different bike setup. So 
if someone if someone thinks that uh, you take I don't know uh, top 10 World Cup rider and you bring him to Valparaiso and you think that the rider is gonna win immediately, I'm saying here there's no chance. Really. I would agree. And I agree. I agree so wholeheartedly like, with it's you. It's 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 it evolved so much and it's so different. Like now, as you were in 2009 in Valpo, uh, the hype about the event is so big. It's so much bigger now. And when you come there, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of spectators. It, it's broadcasted in a national TV where around 5 million people is watching. 5 million. And you go, when you win Valpo, you go to the airport and people on the counter, when you're just uh, checking in, they recognize you. And it's crazy. It's insane. That's it's just awesome. a different, different world. Once uh, I talked with one sport manager of Red Bull in Czech Republic, and he's like, hey, Thomas, I don't understand it. Like, I never seen that. And, and you're like telling me there's a huge hype about it. There's uh, like uh, 20,000 spectators around the track, and it's, it's just insane. But I don't feel it here in my office in Europe. I'm like, hey, you know what? Come with me. And he came with me, and he was completely like, like, he was speechless. He was like, "Holy shit, what's going on here?" And and it's and then afterwards he was coming with me for another three years. Every year was coming there just with enjoyed me, coming. just to see, just to feel the atmosphere, just to see the, just to see the event, how it progresses, and 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 it's really like a like a different sport. And once you're not there and you don't really feel it, you don't you don't know how it really is that that event over there. What and you know especially what it means for the mountain bike uh, community there in South America. Like their biggest events in South America are these urban races. There's nothing more for them. So if you are, I don't know, if you're a good endure rider for them in there, it's nothing in comparison if you're the best, uh, if you're like, for example, Pedro Ferreira from Chile, man, people are loving him. He is the, he's the god in there. He won Valpo two times in Raw and he's the man there. So... So it's uh, it's really crazy how it's how it's different to Europe. And of course, in Europe you will never be able to do event like this. Not just because uh, probably the the city or or the uh, sciencing department would never allow you to do this in a historical city, but especially because we don't have the structures of cities like this. The structure of Valpo. Do you do you remember where you crashed in the steep part? It's yeah. crazy steep. I've never seen a steep hill or a steep street like this in in Europe anywhere else, anywhere else, you know. So so it's those cities over there are just exactly spot on for urban racing, and it's nowhere else in the world. I never seen it anywhere else. Like so, Mexico, South America is this kind of race, and that's why all the uh, activations regarding Red Bull. Uh, races uh, for future are just about to be in South America at this moment. Yeah, because of the way the city is designed and the structure yeah, and yeah. and the terrain. I mean, you you say city, yeah. but it has terrain. It has stairs. It has these yeah, steep yeah, streets, sure. yeah. and it has these long, long hills. Right? I mean, Lisbon was mm-hmm. was barely a hill, mm-hmm. um, and I'm mm-hmm. sure we could find some European ones. But you know, there's a lot more red tape in Europe for for events like this, that's for sure. That's, and I was going to say, I wonder, sure. it probably won't happen now, but if you could take 
make a safe, I don't know, a safe is probably not the correct word because it's probably impossible, but like a safer city race and have it as one of the World Cup rounds would be, the riders wouldn't like it, but it would be interesting oh, to force them <laughs> to, <wouldn't> like it. <laughs> to get used to it, to set their bike up, um, you know. Uh, yeah. It'd be pretty cool, that but was, I mean, I you you was... need you need points, right, to make it a World Cup. So mm -hmm. we couldn't have all of South America entering unless you had some way of getting UCI points. But to take us to take Actually, a, like the, the stars points. of the sport, really, you get some UCI points. Yeah, yeah, because because that's the other thing. That's the other thing with UCI, uh, because uh, all those races which are happening in South America, it has to be in the UCI calendar as a DH kind of race. So it's, uh, it's kind of like a, like a DH race because, uh, I think in 2015, uh, we had a big problem with, uh, UCI first three riders. Me, I think it was then, uh, Brooke McDonald, I think, and someone else, some Chilean rider, or I think it was Pedro. Um, we had an issue. If, if you owning the UCI license, and you have the license, you signed up also the contract that you're not supposed to ride races or be part in the races which are outside of UCI calendar. And that's the thing. And then they said, okay, you guys raced this race, which was not in the UCI calendar. So we take your license for six months and you pay us 5,000 euro. And that's what happened. And we were all like, oh, holy shit, what's going on? At the end, in, at the end, uh, we didn't have to pay anything. They didn't take our, they didn't take our licenses away. But this, it was this finger up from from the UCI, and from that moment, all these races has to be in the UCI calendar. So you are actually collecting some points there. Yeah, I remember when they started talking about that, and the XE guys were having problems mm -hmm. wanting to do these other events. It's like. You only give us how many events to do, and then you're telling us not to go to other events. I mean, it's—I I don't even want to open that stupid can of worms, but it didn't seem fair at the time. And <sighs> hey, well then, let's put one in the downhill calendar because then half of South America will come smoke all the proper downers. No, but it is a way to get the sport to the masses. It is a way to expose mountain biking, whether it's on urban or not, to the South American mm -hmm. community. Um, mm -hmm. and it's good to hear that the tracks are, they obviously taking safety incredibly serious as, as they should. And because back in 09, I mean, I remember the one drop off was like off a road and it was about a story drop and they put a piece of wood on the small pavement as the lip, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, they mm -hmm. didn't bolt mm -hmm. it down. Mm -hmm. And yeah. me, me that as a downhiller and thinking, oh, mm -hmm. I can't get hurt here. What am I like, going to do? Shit. I'm, I'm like, what do, what's happening here? No, that's how it is. I'm like, I mean, yeah. they didn't like me because I was moaning because I was worried about the safety back then, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a little bit kind of the same as you were before. I'm always the guy who's when there is something in the beginning when there was something wrong, I was always the guy who came like, "Hey guys, I think in here if it's gonna stay like this, you will have people crashing and killing themselves over there." They're like, "Hey, hey, Slavic, hey, come on, it's not that bad. You can do this." I'm like, yeah, I can do this, but if you will go full speed around 110% and uh, I can do it probably, but then like uh, those guys who are in between top 10 to top 20, they will have issues in there and, and it's going to be a problem. And at that point, they were a little bit like, 
I was pain in the ass for them sometimes in some events. But at the end, now at this moment, I'm the person who are like, hey, Thomas, please come, come take a look and say if it's fine or not. Because they don't want to have people crashing there and dying and killing themselves over there. So now if you, if you compare Valpo this year and Valpo back in 2009, now Valpo is super safe. It's really safe. It's really way, way safer. It's really like a, like a solid track. But, you know, if that's the thing. You know, even if we make a track on the pavement, which will be uh, 50 meters long, Uh, with three corners and you will take the best riders out there and say hey go as fast as possible go there and and win it we're going to be crashing in those turns because we will get to the limit always every time everywhere no matter if it's a if it's a pump track or if it's a if it's uh i don't know dh track or if you're going straight on a on the pavement you know so we are still crashing but uh, the consequences after the crash are not that big and of course you're not landing the the huge a 15 meter drop into the into the railing you know now it's everything is covered everything is more safe and and they really all the organizers especially at the red bull events they really listening to us to riders and i think that's very important and i think they also do that at the at the dh world cup if if you see something which is just not working and it's super dangerous you're just gonna say it and it's gonna be changed so that's what we do and that's how we avoid these crazy crashes and crazy situations You know, and uh, that's correct. I think no one wants to see uh, people getting hurt on the on the racetrack. No, that's that's great to hear. And I'd rather be like you, even if I'm a pain in the ass. At least I said something. Um, and if something gets done, it gets done. If it doesn't, at least I can go to sleep and say, "Look, we tried." All you can do is try, make it safer, try, make it better, try progress the sport. So I'm glad you were standing up for for the other riders. And that's the challenge when you're the guy saying that they think you're the one that's scared or you the one that can't ride it. If that's you at a top rider, Slavic, you can win these events. If you're mentioning yeah. something, that's because you've noticed something. Some riders mm-hmm. wouldn't have even noticed that a lip is wrong or it's a bit kicky or the gap's mm-hmm. too short. Exactly. Sometimes they're too focused on other things or they're very nervous. So that's definitely good to hear that that's going to be the case moving forward, that they're taking it seriously. So that's exciting. So that is that your main goal almost now after this news from the Forecross not being a world championship? You know, maybe that ship has yeah, you know, sailed, you know, like you've won three world titles in Forecross. Is this like a big shift for you? Mm-hmm. Is urban downhill? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it. Like, like Forecross world champs was always the goal of the season for me. It was like a, like a, like a, peak like a top of the mountain for me where i was always heading but on the way up i was always racing still those uh focus pro 2 world series races which is still gonna be there like seven or eight races which i'm really looking forward to. i'm gonna be racing that one so it doesn't mean if they drop a world champs it doesn't mean that focus is over not at all i mean like we like the the guys at focus pro 2 they're still pushing and trying to uh bring more races and bring more riders into it but it's kind of like just uh harder and harder every year when the UCI does the decisions like this. But uh, for me personally, uh, I want to focus also uh, more on those urban races and try to do good there because uh, I think something really big is coming up in urban DH and it's always good to be part of it already from the beginning as I'm already there for, for many years and and something new is coming. I really would love to be there in the in the bright light, you know, and uh 
that's the thing which is like I'm the all-around racer who's doing slaloms, pump tracks, four-cross races, which are always the events which are under one minute. But now it's always a challenge for me to kind of like a transfer into this uh, urban DH rider because, you know, you need to go three, three and a half minutes, full speed, you know. And it's a little bit, or a little bit, it's completely different training and uh, completely different thing you know uh when you take a 100 meter athlete runner you cannot take him to run uh i don't know 5000 meters he will never perform well so i'm gonna take these three months just uh as every year i'm always kind of transferring and uh going into this kind of little bit i would say very similar to a dh training really like um doing this uh, uh longer intervals longer efforts uh, trying to stay out of my comfort zone for those uh, three and a half minutes. And, and I'm always, after a season, racing a four cross and, and crankworks races, I'm always like, my brain is never ready for those th- three and a half minutes. Now I'm one week after that DH training and my body and my brain is suffering so much. But I know that in a few weeks time, I'm going to get there again. I will also lose some weight. I'm planning probably to lose like six kilos. And... Uh, that's 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 a must for for if you want to perform well for those three and a half minutes. So so it's also for me it's really challenging always this kind of you know transformations and changes going from a kind of like a sprinter athlete into the endurance athlete. You know, so really looking forward for the training and really looking forward for those races and putting a lot of effort in it. Do you think you need this sort of later in your career? You said you're thirty five. Um, to stay motivated because if you just did full cross it's kind of the same grind every year so mm-hmm. maybe being mm-hmm. forced to try these other disciplines and, and become this all round amount does that like help with your longevity? Exactly this is this is a lot of people is asking me about the motivation and you know uh, I'm I'm sure that you went through very similar things like just the motivation when you're uh, growing up more and you spend uh, so many years on the World Cup circuit, the motivation is starting to disappear kind of a little bit. And without motivation, that's that's where you really need to kind of start working hard and really uh, learn some, uh, you know, that, that that's that's really the, 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 the moment if you don't have the motivation uh, where you show up your skills, how, you know, some kind of routines to wake up every day uh, at 6 a.m. to work your ass off. Then in the afternoon, another two-hour training, work your ass off. And once you don't have the motivation, it's it's really harder. So so I'm using this kind of like urban races and crankworks races. That's, that's actually those things which are keeping me motivated. I'm always trying to find some kind of a new goal. Now the goal for me is to, to win those, uh, those urban races and that's what's making me wake up every morning and just hey let's go this is the road to those uh, races and that's what i want to do and uh then uh, if i'm gonna do good in there mission complete and then we need to find some uh, other goals so i'm always trying to find uh, other goals and other goals but at the end as i'm doing these goals for already so many years uh my biggest goal in, in last years, and I'm starting to realize more and more and more, like the biggest goal is to have fun on your bike. Because once you stop lose, once once you stop having fun on your bike, then it's even worse. So I'm 
at this moment, I'm really enjoying riding my bike at the same time, working hard for those goals. And, and I think for the future and for you also, uh, I mean, the reason why I started riding my bike and racing my bike was the joy of riding my bike. And once you forget the joy, then you have a problem, but I still have it and, and really enjoying every minute, uh, riding my bike and that's it. That's what I want to do and have fun on the bike. Yeah, I can see it. I can see when I see you at the races, you still got a smile on your face. And if we text on the Instagram, like you're super, super positive. And uh, yeah, I mean, I lost some of the joy for sure when the the training's Mm -hmm. hard and the results aren't quite there. Or maybe I didn't shift my goals enough. Like you've had to shift them into these other disciplines. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very probably challenging. And you're not the best at these sports. So it's not not really boring, is it? Because you've still got something something to achieve but you came from this bmx background but you've become a really all-rounded bike rider maybe not downhill world cup mm-hmm. right there's one mm-hmm. or two four crosses that did that and and did pretty well but you know was it always like that like how did you find mountain biking because you were bmx background and maybe talk me through what it's like to grow up in the czech republic like you said a smaller country smaller towns <laughs> maybe mountain biking wasn't a huge yeah, sport know, yeah you know um I started at the age of five. I started with BMX. I was really like this kind of crazy hyperactive kid. And, and my mom just needed to kind of like slow me down a little bit. So so she gave me, in, she took me to the local BMX club and I started riding with them. And after first training, I was just full into my, uh, full into BMX bike. And I started racing. I started racing on a, on a, like a national level. Then at the age of eight, I started to race international. Became at the age of eleven, I became a, a European champion, and started to like work my uh, work my way up until 2008 Olympics. It was kind of like my mission, but at the end, I didn't get there. And from that moment, I was already like uh, racing four cross on a, uh, almost on a pro level at that moment. So I was doing both of these uh, because I could see so much fun into mount in mountain bikes if i compared it with the bmx because bmx was i i have nothing bad against bmx like bmx like gave me the best background you can probably have if i would have a uh if i if someone would ask me what to do before mountain bikes i would tell you hey take your kid to the local bmx club and they will learn you how to ride a bike they will learn you the technique they will learn you how to pedal and most of all they will learn you the routines that you need to train to be a good rider. If you're not training, there is the other guys training and they're going to beat you. And they, uh, this mindset is so important for your future career. Like if you don't work, if you don't work hard, you're not going to be winning those races. There is a lot of talented guys, but when it comes to a pro level, you don't, it's not enough to be just talented. You need to be like a, you need to put your, put the work into it. There is like, as everyone's saying, they're like, there is no substitute for hard work. So, I mean, I started. Uh, I started to see in mountain bikes way bigger potential in the way of fun because I, I you know, I, I showed up from this kind of super strict uh, national team BMX rider uh, atmosphere into uh, UCI World Cup four cross, and you know, I saw people, you know, like uh, racing in front of huge crowds having fun, drinking beer after the race, having good times. Everyone on the track was like, like you know, uh, everyone was friends with each other. In BMX, sometimes we didn't talk to some of the riders because 
he uh, put me or he kicked me out of a turn in the race before and I didn't like him because of it. And, and you know, this kind of rivalry. But in, in, in the Fortress and in the H, I didn't see it. And I saw so much more fun in there. And I, I saw also the other thing that you can live out of mountain biking. Like you can kind of get paid and have a salary and travel the world, racing your bikes, uh, stay uh, have a good time with your with your with your friends and and it was for me there was no parents anymore in BMX there was always the parents like arguing like hey your kid kicked out my kid in the corner blah 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 and the national teams and stuff uh, you know in BMX there was no factory teams there was just national teams and you know how is it with the federation and with national teams it's never that much fun it's 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 a uh, yeah it's a strict strict routines uh, no fun around and. Uh, when I saw that at the World Cup of in Fortress, I really loved it from from the start. And I remember uh, where where it hit me a hundred ten percent was uh, before the Olympic Games. Uh, I was having a chance to go uh, to Maribor for the for the World Cup in Fortress, and I was already getting to uh, finals the 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 race before, and I really wanted to go to Maribor, but it was in the clash with with a BMX race where I knew that I'm not able to score against those fast uh, elite guys because I was the first year elite there. I was not able to score. I wasn't able to bring any Olympic points. And I was like, hey, I want to go for that four cross World Cup. And just my federation, as I was a member of a national team, say, hey, Slavic, no, we already put so much money into you. You're not going for the World Cup you're going to the BMX race. And in that moment, like, hey, you're telling me what to do. Like, it's it's my life. It's my career. It's like, I'm just losing a chance of becoming a, a pro a mountain bike rider. Like, there there was a sponsors talking to me. There was a bike brands talking to me. And I never saw it from, from, you know, from BMX. And they were talking to me, negotiating a deal for next year. And I'm like, if I'm not going to show up, it's the last race of the season. If I'm not going to show up, they will forget me. And, 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 and I will not get a deal next year. And like, hey, it's your fault. Like, uh, we don't care. We want you to be at a BMX race where you're going to end up on a 20th or 25th spot. And that's it. You will go there. And in that moment, I got so angry about it. Like, hey, they are the people who are, some people in the office at a national team are telling me what to do. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the race for you because I have a contract for it. But after the race, I'm done. And after that race, I quit. I stopped racing BMX and um, I focused just on four cross and that was the best call. I, I wouldn't like a lot of people was angry at me at that time that, that I, uh, that I was a potential uh, pro BMX riders for a future uh, for Czech Republic to be at the Olympic games and so on. But I didn't see me there. I didn't see me there. Uh, my, uh, I don't know. I'm not the person for it. I'm just, uh, I just want to live my life the way I want to. I want to have fun in my life. I want to, I wanted to be a professional mountain bike rider and it worked out. I'm a professional mountain bike rider and I wouldn't change the decision for anything else in the world. So happy that I pissed few people at that time, but happy that I was able to do this decision. Did you get so those, from that time, did you get those contracts that uh, they were talking to you? uh going into the next year actually actually i got yeah yeah i got a contract from uh from gt bikes it was uh like a uh still was it was uh, like a czech distributor but at that time forecross was still uh still there and and uh 
they were able to pay me the the trips just it was not like like a like a salary style and and getting uh, money for paying the bills from it but it was the first season and it was the i got the money to be able to go to all world cup races which was absolutely impossible to get this kind of money f- from bmx racing and i started racing B- uh, and i started racing four cross and uh, i was riding for gt bikes then I was uh, a little bit cooperating with uh, GT Bikes International. And then from 2009, I got a deal at RSP team. And I would say it was uh, the biggest uh, uh, like contract of, of my life. Like it really like kind of my career really went like really up after after I was r- racing with, uh, with the pro riders, with the Oslichman, with Jurk Meyer in there, with Michael Maroshi from Czech Republic and and I was living a dream at that moment, and I'm still living my dream, really uh, being a pro rider. So it was a good move. I, I remember my first few years on the, on the circuit. Was that some of the most fun you've had? R- Results-wise, I know you did some crazy good results, but it seemed like you guys were happy to ride hard and party hard afterwards and repeat. Yeah. Like I heard these stories of you guys in the, <laughs> I wasn't at the bar because it was before the downhill race, but I just heard the stories and they would go around the pits. And, and I was like, dude, I, I love a guy that's willing to party hard, wake up, train, race hard and repeat. You know, you just seem to be living that, that dream lifestyle yeah. that you obviously thought was better than the BMX lifestyle. Yeah. You know, as I was like my whole life racing BMX, doing everything super streak, eating this amount of uh, pasta for lunch, doing this, doing this training, doing uh, 72 reps, not more, not less, having everything super dialed. Now you throw me into the mountain bike World Cup with all the animals in there, with uh, all the DH riders at that time. they were. It's not like this anymore, but at that time it was like, crazy when when i saw the biggest pros the my biggest like uh, role models and uh, the heroes of from from the age partying having fun you came there i was i was just afraid to say hi to them and they were like hey what's up who are you where are you from blah 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 talking like absolutely like a normal guys normal dudes you know and and i really loved it and i really saw the real face of, of mountain biking and that's what what like made me to go that crazy and now i was having uh, these guys like jos wickman and michael marshy on my side who are really super strong riders on the track and they are super strong off the track and when you meet them on the bar holy shit that's the next level so i was having the <laughs> best teachers in this way <laughs> who's yeah. the who's so the strong times who's the strongest in the bar from the four cross side like who's there till the last minute or last trink it's been always Maroshi. Michael Maroshi. Michael. Really? Michael Maroshi. That's why they call him they called him at Rampage already. And he's already having the tattoos like a tattoo like this on his chest. And it says his nickname is Marozana. And he said it says Marozana never dies. And it's him. It's him. He's always there. When when you're at the bar on the biggest party. You will always find Michael as the last person on the bar, hanging on the bar like this, and he will be there doing crazy stuff from the beginning of the party until the end of the party. And usually the first 
uh, awake in the morning, which is crazy. And I'm I'm doing actually very similar things, but but yeah, I, as I said, I had a great teacher for it. So, so it was it was good times in RSP. We were having like a crazy nicknames like uh like RSP that they were saying people in the pits were saying right sleep party. That's what we were actually doing. And uh yeah, it was it was good times and, and fun times on the bar. But you know, as as the DH World Cup and every every single sport or the mountain bikes are evolving so much and everything is so much more professional, like uh you cannot do this anymore that much. Of course after the race, when you're not having a next week race, you can go for the party, you can go big, but but usually you're jumping back into the training and you can see it on a, on a, on the young DH guys now at the World Cup. They never they never lived the era of, of this old school uh, Steve Pete, Greg Minar, and these guys uh, partying after every single World Cup, getting completely hammered. They never seen it, and it's not happening anymore. It's it's a little bit sad because I really I really love those those days. I really love those days, and I mean now um, it was it was different this year at Valdisol as, as it was the last World Cup of the season for them, last World Cup for uh, for the cross country guys, and last World Series race for four cross guys. Man, it was exactly it. It was this old school party. It was really. You could see a lot of a uh, lot of uh, DA stars and cross country stars being completely hammered on the bar, and of course I was in between them, no 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 jobs, but I was there completely hammered too, and really had fun. I was having so much fun there. It was just yeah, good times. Yeah, it's it's like a bunch of caged animals that get led out into the <laughs> yeah. wild because you're right, the exactly. sport has progressed and there's more money in the sport, more competition, which means. If one guy goes to bed early or doesn't go to an after party, he's probably getting a little bit of an advantage. So then the next guy does it and, and, and. And I'm not a proponent of saying you have to party or not party. I'm just saying each to their own. But the sport has moved on so that these people, like you say, it's the last race. So they've probably sort of kept it in a pile the whole year. Okay, we've got a few more races. And then when the last one happens, or I remember the last Mm -hmm. one's the best. It's like this big relief of the season. It's finished. We can let loose, you know, and and kind of be ourselves. Exactly. It was crazy. I was like, we were we were still having a, a four cross race in the in the night on Saturday, but the DH guys were already uh, having the race done. They were already after the last race, so they were already parking on the racetrack when we were racing the the last four cross race, and I remember that I finished the race. I went to the podium so much people like thousands of people like hey waving into people so much fun and i saw it was kind of a different than the day before like you could see like people screaming like uh, uh, champagne everywhere vodka bottles everywhere drinks everywhere and i'm like holy shit these guys they still know how to party like they were like in the cage for a whole year and now someone opened the cage and they're like fucking animals and i like it i'm just gonna get changed and i'm going there to to go with those guys (laughs) And on the and on the way through the pits, I was just going, and I'm, it was just playing in my head like, oh shit, this is gonna be good, good. This is gonna be good night. My girlfriend was like, me, holy shit, oh, I think it's gonna be really wide tonight. And then we just came to the pits, and I saw the bunch of people standing there, like hundred people standing there and cheering to something. I'm like, what they're cheering to? And there was a motorbike on fire, like 
motorbike just burning on fire, like three meters high flames. And, and they were running around and like, Wah! screaming, like completely crazy. I'm like, holy shit, that's next level. Okay, let's go. <laughs> you thought, so you, thought cool every, you thought everyone had forgot how to party, but they just been saving yeah. it all for one night. But what do you think it is? Yeah. Because some people, oh, you downhillers are crazy. You mountain bikers are crazy. And part of me just thinks it's you, you – you keep on to so much emotion, adrenaline. Um, it's quite a gnarly thing uh, that, say, a mountain biker does. Or may, let's maybe call it extreme sports. You know, you need that adrenaline. You need all that stuff, and you fuel it, and you keep mm -hmm. it inside you. And sometimes you need an outlet, and you just need to let, mm -hmm. it, let mm -hmm. it loose and sort of switch the brain off. And, and some people use partying as that. It's kind of the rock star lifestyle, all that adrenaline, mm -hmm. All that ego, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then you just need to let it loose, let it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like, um, this is a thing what, well, like, it seems like natural to me. Like, like if you're like holding the adrenaline in your the emotion and everything, you, you, it needs to go out sometimes out of you. You know, if this is the way how you can do it, why not sometimes in, in a year? Why not? Like, I'm, I'm not definitely against it. Like, uh i think we should have fun we're we're here we're here just once and we should enjoy every day and i mean if this is the way how you want to relieve this kind of emotions why not like like it doesn't like if you know how to handle it if you're not doing it every day why why not i'm, I'm just uh i'm just saying like uh we were also saying like all the contracts were made every time back in the day on a party you know like you always talk with all the bike brands and with all the people you're always when you have one or two beers or a few more beers you always kind of more relaxed and you you sometimes can say things what you would never be able to say and to come to i don't know to some bike sponsor and say hey guys hey how are we doing start chatting with it it's also about these relationships like if you're if you're the, like a social guy who who comes to the bar and talks with everyone and is having fun with everyone I would, if I would be a bike brand, I would support this guy because I feel I would be feeling good around this guy, and and that's it. If th this is the way how you can start talking to uh, sponsors, to people, why not to have few beers? Yeah, I mean, should, you don't even have to have the beers if you've got good social skills and you can have some fun even in the yeah. bar with him. We're not saying you have to yeah. drink, but that's an interesting yeah. point. It's yeah, networking. Sure. It's networking. Uh, people want to work yeah. with people that are fun. People want to work with people that have good energy. Maybe is a, mm. even a better thing. Exactly, like, exactly. You've always had this good energy, and like, um, it's it's infectious to be around. If you understand that word, like, you want to be mm -hmm. around people that are having a good time, not fake. Uh, put on a smile. Let's have a crazy time. Like, you just authentically want to have a good time. You want to see your mates race well. You want to see the guys mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. a good time at yeah, the party. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're if you're a team manager and you want to have, like, you spending the whole year with some riders in the pit, and if if you have like three riders who are like not talking, not social, uh, pissed all the time, it uh, it doesn't feel good. Like, okay, they're bringing the results. That that's that's uh, the most important thing. But it would be even better if there would be a cool guys to hang around, to go for dinner with them, to have fun, to do jokes. And then if you're this kind of a guy, then then you have way more chances to to go to a bigger team or uh, or you know to having more chances to get more sponsors and just I mean like 
if the people around you feel good when you're around them, then, then you're having way more chances to to have a good time on on the racetrack when you're spending a year again next to each other. You know, so so for me it was always important, and it's also when you when you're uh, for example when they were uh, trying to get me to Red Bull, it took them almost over two years just to get me there, and they were like inviting me to these parties. Checking out how Eng- how how well I speak English. Checking out uh, what person what person am I? And you know, if they find out, oh, this is a cool guy, it would be good cooperation with guy. He's a he's just a good good person. And if if he's not a good person, then I'm I I'm sure that I wouldn't be uh, in Red Bull. But they just do it this way. And I mean, it works the same way in mountain bikes. Um, if I would be a bike brand, I would definitely would love to have uh, fast riders, but also a good person in there you know? yeah yeah that's critical is uh how you hold up yourself in front of people and it's quite a good lesson i guess is um to work on all aspects you know like the social side and mm-hmm. and and remember mm-hmm. maybe exactly. yeah maybe even if you are an aspiring racer like you're gonna have bad races right but there's a limit yeah, to how long you want to be grumpy for you know like everyone has bad races like the world mm-hmm. is a bigger place than just one race result so that's probably something mm-hmm. I've just thought about. Is yes, like, exactly. I've been grumpy after races, but hopefully for not too long. Maybe I did. Maybe that's something I could have done better. But you've always been a guy that was able to sort of get over the race, get on to the next thing, whether it's having a beer or going for a nice mm-hmm. dinner, whatever helps you relax again, right? You need to relax, reset but, to like normal, and then come out with a good attitude. But that's the, that's the thing. Like um, now, as, as, as you already finished your career, and you look back. Uh, if I if I'm looking back to my career, I would if I would be able to travel back in time to tell myself after I fucked up my world champs for third time in row back in 2000. I don't know, uh, 13, 14. I will be just standing there. I'll say, Hey, Thomas, there's so many more important things in the world than winning the world champs. So many more, like. Like, I know that now you think the most important thing in your life is to get those rainbow stripes, but this is not true. This is, this is, uh, this is really important thing for you in a career, but in, in the way of life thinking, this is not a, this is not a value. The, the real value is somewhere else. And now I'm, I'm starting to, as I'm getting older and older, I'm starting to realize and realize more and more every day I wake up, I'm like, if if I fuck up a race, I'm not I'm not grumpy anymore. I could be grumpy like my girlfriend was telling me like five years ago, like, hey, you were playing like you're not grumpy, but you were grumpy for one week. You were answering questions different way than normally. You were looking different when you wake up in the morning, even though you were saying you're fine. But but now I can see if you if you fuck up a race, you're trying to learn out of it. You're like, okay, I made a mistake, that's it, life goes on. I will learn from that. So this is kind of a lesson which uh, that long career I'm going through is giving me, I think. And it's the most important. Like there, there are way more important things now than, than, than winning those, uh, those races. And I mean, this is, this is exactly as we talk about those uh, social, social life and going to the bar to see the people. It's about, at the end, it's about uh, the health, about the friendship, and about having a good times. And if uh, and I'm and I'm happy that I was going to those bars 
to see the friends, to talk with the writers, to talk with the team managers and have just a good time because it's important. I, I learned so much from there and it gave me so much into my career that if I wouldn't be there in the bar, I would be a half person, I would say almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, you basically stole one of my questions. Sometimes I like to say, well, what would you tell your 25-year-old self or 30-year-old self? But yeah. you, you went straight there and I look back and I definitely had a great time. I don't regret anything. And uh, I would still go back and say, hey, it's going to be over so quickly. And that can be for life. Mm -hmm. Like life is long, but life is short. Like it's going to be over so quickly. Why don't you enjoy it just that little bit more? And like you said, you've learned, yeah. okay, I'm going to learn from the race. Maybe subconsciously I'm actually grumpy for a week. Try make that a day. Mm -hmm. Try get a little bit better. I'll try get over a bad race quicker, which is tough. I mean, when you're in it, that's all you know. When I was in it, mm -hmm. dude, I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do or could do when I was in it. You know, retiring is tough and, and you'll get there. Retiring from, say, competitive, competitive sport. You're not there yet. And then as time goes on, you realize, shit, that was just a phase of my life or that race season was just a portion of my career. So it's mm -hmm. cool to hear you like, I want to be known as a good person. Well, maybe that's a good question. What exactly? 10 years time, what do you want to be known for? Hmm. That's a, that's a tricky question. I probably would love to be known as a really good rider being a, like a legend in mountain bike, mountain bikes. And if I will go through the pits that even the young kids going to say, Oh, this is a good guy. And I will know everyone from the pits just hey, Slavic. Hey, how are we doing? Hey, see you in the evening for dinner. Let's go. No matter if it's from this team or that team, just, you know, where's like at the end, like we're spending so, so, so many years on the, on the world cup circuit. And we know so many people and it's, and it's again, uh, it's about that, that friendship and, and, I've created so many friends all over the world nowadays and, and it's always for me, it's really amazing. And also for, for other people who are sometimes traveling with me that you come to Chile, you come to Colombia and you meet your friends, you meet your, the, your buddies actually over there in South America, because you were spending so much time over there in those previous years. And, and, and you, I've created so many friendships over there. Like, like going to uh, Ignacio Rojo, who's the who's the guy from Chile, who's just I'm spending every winter over there for eight years now, and uh, this is it. I probably would would love to be known as a as a mountain bike legend and a good person. In in general, if you cut it together, it would be good person would be the thing. Not like the the guy who was winning every single race, no matter what. He was an asshole, but he was winning every single race. I don't want to be that guy. No, I think you've already achieved that. So the sky's the limit what you can add to top of that. You <laughs> might you might be the mountain bike legend that was a nice guy that brought Forecross to the real mainstream it deserved. Maybe you're able to do that still in ten years. No. Maybe. Maybe that would be maybe it would be even bonus. Yeah, that's a bonus. <laughs> but exactly. I uh, that's bonus. cool. That's so cool to hear because those are my fondest memories from the circuit is relationships and experiences yeah. yeah there's results or uh things that yeah, i did that i maybe thought i could do as a kid that i achieved or i achieved more or less and i don't know someone else asked me that on a podcast like you know do you regret anything or do you think you could have done better results and uh i don't know maybe i wasn't meant to do better because you know just 
that was my potential or I could have done a little bit better. But in 10 years' time, it doesn't matter. If I phone you in five years, do you pick up the phone because I won something or you pick up the phone because it might might be a good chat or I might actually be able to come to your event? I don't know. Or you coming to South Africa. Yeah, exactly. Because if you say you come to South Africa, I'm like, I got the spare room. We're going for a beer on the first yeah. night, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Cool. That's a, and that's the thing. Like, like um, when you're 20 years old and someone's going to be telling you these things, you're going to be, oh, come on, come on now. I just want to fucking win the, that World Cup. That's, that's the main mission for me. Of course, I remember myself. I was just, I was so hungry. It's, it's crazy. I, I would sometimes would love to feel that hungry as I was those years before because it was crazy. I was able to do everything for it just like like absolutely crazy but now as 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 you grown up you're you changing the priorities you changing the values of the things and and i think that's correct that's a that's a like evolving evolving your uh not as a as a racer of course but uh evolving your mindset in this way and as i said in the beginning like i'm starting to uh enjoying more riding the bike i'm not going there just to like super strict having like a strict session anymore but i'm having a strict session but of course then we have a jam with the guys and having fun laughing to each other doing uh, stupid shit and that's that's what is it about that's that's why we starting race racing our bikes because because we wanted to have fun and that, that's the uh when we were kids we didn't have any uh this kind of like uh uh, fake imagination like oh i want to earn money and i want to be good in this you just wanted to have fun because you were a kid and that's it yeah I'm but it's, grown up kid. it's the yeah, yeah grown up yeah yeah i'm a grown-up kid i'm still a kid inside for sure but that is the double-edged sword of chasing a passion and making it a career isn't it because yeah you, it can suck the fun out of it people will think you got to race bikes for a living how bad could that be but there's lots of parts that suck Right, and it, and it sucks the life out of it if you're not aware and you reflect back to understand why it's not fun, and and sometimes you have to sort of force the fun back into it. Like you said, now I train, but I make sure we have a jam session afterwards, or maybe we mm-hmm. challenge each other on the bike like we would yeah. as kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there is a one really cool picture on the internet, and it's like a drawn picture where there is a guy standing on the podium. And on the podium, there is written like what people see. They see victory, they see fame, they see money, they see good times, they see fun. But under it, there's the things what the what the people around they don't see. And there's the sacrifice, that's the pain, that's days not sleeping, that's injuries, that's uh, money loss. Uh, uh, you don't see your family very often. You're having problems with your girlfriend because you don't see her too often. And and there's so many things which people don't realize. When you say, oh, I'm a professional athlete, and everyone's like, oh, so you, you're living your dream. Just only having the... F- uh, there's only fun and there's nothing else. And and then you're like, oh, come on. That's not that's not that simple. Like you, you need to, of course... There's a there's a thing which I'm really happy for that I still have fun and I enjoy racing those races and having a good time. But of course, there are some days where 
I'm like, hey, I don't want to go ride my bike today. I feel so shit today. I am, um, my body hurts. My, uh, I'm just tired. It's raining outside. I don't want to go there. And you have to go there because otherwise the other guy is going to go there. It's going to be quicker than you. And that's the that's the things what people don't see, and they don't realize it. So they put us into one uh, one corner where they say. Oh, it's a pro athlete. Oh, he's just having fun. He's not working. He doesn't even know how to work. He he doesn't even know what what means working hard. It's just just enjoying enjoying life. You know the traveling. He was last week, uh, or he was last month in Chile. Then he was in New Zealand. Then he was in Mexico. Can you imagine sightseeing, drinking uh, beers in there, having good time? But at the same time, you freaking out because you're jet lagged. You're pissed because your bikes got lost and you don't know how to solve it your flights got canceled you're tired you're losing the money and there's so many things which are just not fun on the traveling of course there's some parts which are fun but there's so many things which are just definitely not fun like if someone tells you like do you know how much is it fun to go from europe to new zealand which is 35 hours on the road with three bike boxes on your own, getting those bikes in USA out of the plane, then checking in again. One is getting lost. You don't know what to do. Phone calls, stress. That's It's not and, easy. And then what about when you land on the other side with the jet lag? You have to perform. You forgot the main, exactly. the main problem here. You have to perform because if you don't perform, you don't get a contract the next year. So you're out of a job. So there's a of lot of lot still... of underlying pressure. Of course, like as we talk about being a good person and good guy around in the pits where everyone says, Oh, it's a good person. Of course, that's uh that's pretty cool and really admirable. But at the same time, you still need to deliver, kind of. You still need to give those guys if you're a racer, not if you're a YouTuber or something else, is different. But if you're a racer, the, the stuff we were doing. Or we're, or I'm still doing. You still need to be the guy who's delivering the results and delivering the numbers and being on the podiums. Otherwise, you just, you just, yeah, it's, it's, it's that's your job, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just uh, a, a guy that's maybe not on the podium, and that's harder to get a ride. But yeah, I don't think in life you get to the top of any field. Now, a sportsman is the top, right? And mm-hmm. businessman happens the same. If you really get to the top yeah. 0.1% in the world, you have to sacrifice mm-hmm. quite a, a lot, hell of a lot, yeah, actually. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's nice mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. just hear you sort of educate us on that, that it's still there, even though you're having a good time, you want to be a good person. But yeah. then you've got to go, hang on, when I was 20 and I got in this gate, I was so hungry, I would die for it. And you've got to then channel that mm-hmm. after seeing – Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Nice to see you. Hey, Slavic, how's the course? Have you got any info for me? You're all friendly to me. And then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two minutes later, you got to get in the gate. you got to block out this guy who's maybe also a nice guy because there's a lot of nice guys mm-hmm. on the circuit and maybe some mm-hmm. guys that annoy you, which is easier to beat. But that must be tough when you're like, hey, I want to be known as a nice guy. But on the track, I'm not a nice guy. Yeah. Especially yeah. in four cross, Sometimes- right? Because four cross, like you yeah, can, but- you know. Mm-hmm. But in forecross, that's that's uh, kind of a thing what everyone thinks. Like we're forecross racers, we're hitting each other hard, we're just taking each other out of the turn. Yeah, but some guys and did a lot of that. Yeah, of course they <laughs> did a lot of carnage for sure. But 
I mean, if we talk about those top 10 guys, I don't remember last year's, like, if there would be someone who attacked me or if I would attack someone on the track, like, in the bad way. Um, I mean, we're always trying to ride the gentle way that we can shake our hands at the bottom of a track and then have a beer at the bar and look in the eyes and say, hey, that was a good race today. That was a freaking awesome race. And that's, like, this imagination kind of stops me of doing something bad to the rider on the track because I don't want to look in his eyes and say, holy shit, I'm an asshole in your eyes now because I did something that was not fair. I don't want to be like that. So if someone does something like this on a track, like I, it's also pretty cool. Like if someone does bad or does bad things on a track from, I don't know, top 10 to top 20 guys or something, someone from the back kind of a little bit, when he does something bad, he is getting it like he's pay- like there's a lot of guys paying back, even though it's not like my issue or it was not the con- conflict with me. But when I saw the move, what the person did, which was super unfair, and then in the end, they almost were fighting in the finish. I'm not going to be nice to that guy on the track. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't never do something bad to the guy. But if we go to the first corner, I will just slow down in front of him a little bit just to completely stop us. And then the other guys from back got close, get closer and he will be a target. And then I disappear and I'm gone. But I do this and, and the other guys are doing the same thing. So, so this kind of like a payback system is working really great in Forecross. So you have to be really careful. And uh, you see it sometimes when there is always some kind of a guy from DH, for example, from BMX coming to a first, like a Forecross race. You always see them doing this kind of like weird stuff, which is on the limit with the rules and stuff. And then they are on the blacklist and then it's a problem for them. So, so yeah, but we are trying to write the nice way. And um, really I'm having a, a good relation with, uh, with actually with all the, the, the Forecross riders uh, on the circuit. Of course, there are some, uh, there were some moments where uh, there were some discussions from their side or from my side, but it happens when you're even if you would be racing on your own on a, on a flat pavement. There is always going to be happening something, you know, some weird situation, weird moments, uh, going over the flags, getting uh, you know not getting caught by it, or or you know, it's just yeah, it's things which are happening. Yeah, it's like the respect is earned, you know, especially the top level. And you're yeah. right, there was. I can't even think of many. If there's a top top level rider that could win a race, top three. He wasn't going to last in the sport if you keep doing dirty shit, you know? And it seems like you guys, yeah. pro- you, you protect each other. Someone that came mm-hmm. in new mm-hmm. and has got a few dirty moves, exactly. then the whole crew mm-hmm. will get together subconsciously or without talking yeah. about it. And you're like, hey, that's not how it works around here. We're going to race hard. We're going to race fair. That's just good to hear because there have been some bad yeah. apples, but they get sorted out pretty yeah, quickly. Of course. Yeah, for sure. You know, Forecross Forecross is not not a badass sport at the end. Like uh if you take a look like once you're gonna be respected by the by the Forecross community and you would be the role model who's riding just fast and clear, then you're really are kind of like you can be the legend in the sport. But once you're gonna be the person who's gonna be doing the bad stuff and, and not clear stuff and, and uh hitting each other and hitting the other guys it's uh you will never be the the icon in the sport you will not be the icon in the pits 
you will not be the icon on the bar at the end. You will just be an asshole who's riding badass on a track. So, so that's the thing. So, uh, the rumors are about Forkers sometimes like everyone's like hitting each other, but it's not, it's not really it. Like if you take a look to the live streams or to the videos, of course, there are some moves, but it's, uh, it's not that casual. I would say it's not that casual. Like some of the guys are afraid, oh, I'm not going to go there because I would crash because someone would hit me, but we're trying to ride fair. Like there's, there's some rules. Uh, once you're going to be breaking the rules, you're going to be disqualified. If you're going to hit someone in the corner, not the nice way, you're going to be disqualified. You're not going to win the race. So everyone is still aware of it. So so uh, that's the way. That's the way it is. Yeah, I'm thinking back like, you know, I did my fair share. I wasn't not at the front of the field. But, yeah, I didn't really get into too many crashes, touch wood. And, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. actually good that you speak about that because sometimes there's this misconception or one crash from one heat in a race gives it like a bad name. But, yeah, there's been some incredible racing, duels, guys that you've raced with. Uh, they're oh, still shit, in the sport. That was crazy. Yeah. That was crazy. What? That was what did, crazy. What did you remember? Like in duel. Oh, duel. duel. Yeah, but the problem with duel Holy is moly. there's only one guy. So there's two people exactly. on the track. So maybe go and research some of these races. So, of course, if you take the guy out and you get up before him, you're going to win the race. Exactly. So it was a recipe for disaster, right? Exactly. And, <laughs> and that's exactly the thing. And that's exactly the thing about Forecross. Imagine that you're on the second place and you hit the first guy. Uh, you hit him pretty hard in a corner. You slow down on 50% of your speed. Then there is two guys behind you who are going to pass you. So you really need to be like... This fact that there is four guys on a track, it makes you go clear and smooth and safe. Otherwise, you're going to lose. There's going to be still those guys behind you. If, you, if you're going to hit the person in front of you the way uh, as they were hitting each other back in the days at Slalom, you will not advance because there will be always those guys who are going to be kind of like... Uh, kind of uh going around you so so in this way i think i don't think four cross is like a really badass sport in in this way like it's uh, just a just a kind of a, like a rumors of course always there being some situation i was in some situation where from my point of view i i, I can remember from my even this year there was some misunderstanding in the first corner i was leading and i was kind of like in the lead by far and i was jumping to the outside of the first corner to have a good line, but there was the other rider and he had to slow down and some other guy just passed him over there. And then he came to me in a finish like, Hey, you motherfucker, what did you do? You almost took me out in the first corner. I'm like, Hey, I was going first. I was just choosing the best option for me into the first corner. That, uh, that's what I was doing. I didn't see you. I didn't want to slow you down. It was just misunderstanding. And then he was reacting to me like really bad, like, Hey, fuck you Slavic. This is not the way how it's done. And I'm like, Hey, then, then I, I felt I felt guilty in that moment. I felt like I felt really bad, kind of like when you have the stone on your chest. I was like, "Holy shit, I fucked up!" But then I then I took the look at the screen on the replay. I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just going first, jumping to the outside, not cross lining, not doing anything wrong. He just was in the wrong place in the wrong time, and that's it. He didn't crash. I didn't make him crash, and that's it. And then I was fine. But the reaction of the other guys are sometimes weird and and yeah that's it that's sometimes these I, moments are just happening i wonder if that ride has been in the sport for like 15 20 years and got three world titles i bet is that a no 
Nah. Probably not. He's, he's there for a pretty long time, and he's having a oh. really similar name as I have. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So just a, okay, so mutual no, mutual misunderstanding then. Yeah. L- looking at a situation no, was, in two different ways. Yeah, it was it was weird. It was a weird moment, and and uh, maybe now he regrets the words he said. I didn't speak about it with him after the race anymore because. Um, Oh, deeper you go into this shit, it stinks more and more. So I was like, "Hey, I'm out of it." I was fair. I was, I was like, uh, I was like, "Fine over there." So he needs to take a look at the replay and say, and be honest to himself. Sometimes it's, it's really hard when you know it when you lose a race and you think it's someone else's mistake. At the end, it's most of the time it's your mistake. You know? Yeah. And sometimes yeah. those this self-reflection is called yeah you need to yeah you need to kind of like be aware what you did sometimes you need to say okay this was my fault i was in the wrong place wrong time but but hey he didn't do something wrong so let's take it clear it was i wasn't supposed to be at the bottom screaming at him like an idiot and and yelling on the live stream uh live stream in front of uh, thousands of fans and moving doing this moves and and this is not good like the people the people see it they see that things and once they see it, they they will not like you for this no better if even if it was uh if it was not your missing it was the other riders but you acting like you like throwing things throwing bikes throwing your helmet Dude, people are like boo boo on the track. They don't like you, and that's I never, I never ever done this in my life. I maybe done this when I was out of everyone. I went into the woods and there I ripped my shirt off and throw the helmet away, but no one could see it. I'm sure if the fans see this kind of acting, they will immediately not like you for it because it is not, not fair play. Yeah. But it's, it's the hardest thing to do is admit when you're wrong or self-reflect and go, Oh, I've only Uh got myself to blame. It's, it's the hardest thing. We all go through it. It's the only way to grow, but to admit that you just Mm -hmm. lost the race because you made a mistake or you weren't fast enough. I mean, it's easier to say, Oh, Slavic, Slavic cut me off. That's why I lost. That's easy. You don't yeah, grow from it. That, but. Yeah, if he would be there in front of me, then he could choose the line, and that, that's the thing, you know. So, um, and this is this is also one of the things where what I learned in my career, like you need to really always take a close look on the on the situation and on the things you do. Like if you fuck up your race, don't blame other guys. Of course, uh, sometimes when I was high on emotions, I was also blaming the guys that they were. They were not nice in a corner to me, and that's why I crashed and blah blah blah, and and uh, crying on the internet like like hey, it was not my fault, it was this guy. And now when I take a look back, I'm like, hey, Slavic, grow up. It was your fault, or it was like, man up, just just take it the way it is and and keep on moving. Uh, tell to the guy in the finish, hey, this was not nice from you. It was not fair play, but don't do like a crazy shit like like fighting or or screaming there in the finish line i never done that but but sometimes when you're uh you know these feelings when you when you're really working hard you really spend you bust your ass 
working hard every day from day to the night. You just live, dream for that one event, and then you then someone's fucked it up for you, and then you then you just kind of like. Uh, it's so hard to hold the horses, you know, in, in your head. Like I was always, sometimes I was just going off the finish line. I was not even breathing. I was just like <laughs> boiling in my head. And I'm just like, Slavic, don't do something stupid. Don't do something stupid. You're going to be looking like idiot. Don't do something stupid. And, and, and I always hold it. But then when I was out of reach, no one could see me. I was just like fuck, exploding and, and it becomes harder and harder in, in your career. Like when we were talking about the motivation, when you really train hard and you, you just, the results are just not coming and you're riding slower and slower and just something is wrong and you don't know what it is, or the guys are just getting faster. It's so hard to get over it and to, to, to find why it's happening. And this is exactly the things which are always like digging in your head, back in the head. You're always like, I work so hard. I my bike setup is fine. My tires are fine. I'm feeling good, and I just didn't make it work again. Like it's five races in a row, and that's the moment when you kind of like start to be frustrated, and that's the hardest part where you need to kind of like man up, get up, and, and make it work somehow. You just need that one result, one result where you get back on the wave, and then you start, and then you keep on surfing, but you need to get sometimes on the wave when you're under the wave. Yeah, man, it's that's probably the hardest part is when things, there aren't any excuses, but the form isn't quite there. That's probably one of the hardest places to be, I think, as an athlete or in life when you're putting a lot of work in, even the correct work. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you've got to take two steps back to go one step forward, they say. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard mm-hmm. that saying, but... Yes, yes, exactly. We have the same in check, and it's it's like it's the same thing with a if you're running a company, you're running a business, and you're putting a lot of effort, and you spend a lot of money into it, a lot of time into it, and it's just not working. It's the same feeling, and and then you see people walking to you and and looking at you and saying, "Oh, you're the pro athlete. You're just living the life of a champion, and you're just having this." red carpets and, and fucking uh, expensive cars and, and uh, all the girls and you having all the fame and just you just having all only the positive things and that's not true it's not true that people need to need to realize and we were actually doing like a little little document about it with a friend of mine like a like a video like uh about my career and these kind of motivational things like that it, you really sometimes need to kind of like really dig deep to get some motivation and to keep that fun factor still in your career after you racing for so many years and and i think it's going to be uh it's going to be pretty exciting for to especially for the riders who are in the in the business or in the sport for a pretty long time it's going to be pretty exciting i think because uh we all are going through the same things through the same feelings in some period of the times and uh uh yeah it's sometimes really hard. So what do you do? Then? Like you say, you have to find the fun, but I mean, do you have any practices or do you need to take a holiday? Do you need to go to the bar? Like how do you reset you know, or uh, regain this motivation? For example, now I'm really a lot outside of riding bikes. I'm really doing a lot of fishing. It's crazy. Okay. It sounds crazy to no, me. I'm, no, I'm I, this kind of like, hyperactive person like riding bikes smashing the corners doing those crazy urban races but i'll have to go fishing 
And I mean, maybe this, this is this kind of a balance where you kind of like, you're this crazy athlete, uh, adrenaline pumping out of your veins and they just doing crazy stuff. And then here, fishing is completely low where you need to be quiet. You need to focus in, you need to try to find the fish, catch the fish. And, and in this way, it can be sometimes even fishing can be really a lot of adrenaline. I'm having a lot of adrenaline in, in there. But I think the most important thing for me uh, when I'm fishing is the fact that I'm not thinking about bikes. Yeah. Zero percent of thinking about bikes. I'm not thinking about the tire setup. I'm not thinking about suspension. I'm not thinking how about the upcoming races. I'm just there to catch the fish and I'm trying to do the best to get the fish. And I'm kind of like in nice nature, uh, enjoying it uh, at the same time, resting and just thinking about like, it's like a brain reset. And it's sometimes I've learned in the, in that career that so important how you're gonna write and how you're gonna perform is what is your mindset and how is how is your kind of like mind health you know when you're feeling great you will be doing good once you're frustrated and you're feeling like shit you will not do good you will not have fun even though and uh, that's really important and and for some reason when i'm not fishing and i'm just trying to i'm, I'm changing this kind of priorities like uh, like a it just coming to my head like these priorities as you're growing up uh you just need to realize these things it's not it's not a cure it's not an exercise it's not a fishing you just need to stand here sitting in your garage and realize holy shit i need to do this i need to have fun on the bike because it is it's fun sport and that's what i loved and you need to realize how cool is it to ride your bike you know so you need to kind of tell yourself to be okay because this is the most important thing. Yeah, but the fishing thing makes sense because like you say, if you're going to fish well or be there in the moment, you can't think about anything else. And I think that's mm -hmm. the healthy reset for the mind to regain motivation. Because if you, yeah, that's exactly. why a race season is quite tough. A long race season, I think, because it's just training, thinking about the next race, either in good or bad. What can I do better? Next race, next race. Are the world champs is coming up? Like you, and I think that's also why we party because sometimes after a few beers, mm -hmm. yeah, your mind just, switches yeah. off, and you and because it's like almost like this monkey in your head won't go away. So fishing for mm -hmm. you was that mm -hmm. I chose golf. It's, it is nature. Yeah. It can be fun, but it's one of the most stupid, frustrating game sports in the world. So <laughs> maybe it's not the correct one for me, but. No, when but, I was racing, you're not thinking about bikes. but you can't think about bikes. It's impossible because you yeah. need to get the stupid yeah. white ball in that stupid hole. That's far <laughs> over there. <laughs> it's bullshit. But I, I used great. to, I used to go fishing with my friends and that also was fun because it was something different. And I was so shit. I couldn't even put the lure on the line and I didn't know what bait to use. So it took my mind mm -hmm. off bikes, mm -hmm. took my mind off the pressure. But dude, when you don't catch, isn't that frustrating? I know that's not why you fish is to catch, but you're competitive. Yeah, so don't you want to, don't yes. the competitive comes out and you're like, oh, I didn't catch today. Or I didn't catch the biggest fish. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it can be frustrating, but we say in Czech Republic, like those days spent by water or by the river, it doesn't count in the days of your life. Oh, you know? cool. It just, it just, you're there and you still recovered. You you know like you know how hard is it to have a long 
uh, World Cup season, you're physically tired, like your body is sore. But what's the most important? Your your mental health or your mind is tired too. And that's for me, sometimes it's way more uh, like crucial and way more important. When I'm tired in my head, holy shit, it's hard to, to make things rolling and make things working. And, and now I read one article uh, about Supercross athletes. Like they can stand the Supercross season of those 16 races physically, but they are having a struggle to stand it mentally. Like that pressure... Uh, being every weekend somewhere else on the other side of the country, traveling, racing, stressful moments. This is a thing which is so much important. And you can be such a fast rider. You can be the fast rider. Like I know so many guys who are faster in the training than me. They are faster out of the gate in the training than me. But when it comes to the racing, I can, I don't know how, like so many people is asking me how you're doing it, that you're so dialed, so precise in the race and how come you can put all the things together in a race and my answer is i don't know i don't know it's just somehow it's in there and i can do this and i can start like when i'm racing i'm way faster my times are super faster even though i try 110 in my trainings to go the same pace i'm not able to carry on the same pace and uh this is all the things about your mindset and about your about what's there in your head and when your head is tired then you cannot perform like this and that's and i think to find this kind of balance to some kind of activity it doesn't matter if it's golf or if it's fishing or i don't know if it's uh jumping out with a parachute whatever it is and it makes you to come uh to different to different uh things and to different minds and to uh just stop thinking about mountain bikes and about your job it's good thing it's just making the balance and making your brain recover between the races and i think this is also part of the uh part of the things which were making me a better writer as i'm going it sounds crazy it sounds funny but but when you're going fishing or playing golf it helps you in your career just to just to recover from those stressful situations from those traveling moments from those jet lags that's it that's the way it is well there you have it i think that's an excellent way to wrap this up is is balance and uh, looking after the the mental side and the motivation slavic that was so fun i hope to do it again yeah, i hope it was to great, see right? i hope to see you at some too. point people just saw you as this crazy forecross rider a street race rider but there's so much depth to you and and I think you do so much good for the sport from a character point of view for the sport and crankworks and street races. But taking the forecross tour and putting it on your shoulders and say we're not going to let the sport die. Mm-hmm. There's something there, and and I think that's a that's it's powerful, dude. So thank you for what you do for the sport. Thank you. Really appreciate your words. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I uh, can't wait to see you somewhere in the pits. High five, and then we'll see each other. Uh, on the bar or have, a, have a, some good food or whatever because this is what is it about this is about a friendship and uh, i think this uh interview this podcast was pretty much the the proof of it i've always taken my health very seriously but i must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day especially when i'm traveling and on the road a lot then i found athletic greens i'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast 
I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy, which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. You know what to do if you liked it. Hopefully you did. Uh, Share it with a friend. I think Slavik's got some cool lessons for everyone Mm. from bikers to non-bikers. If you've got any questions, we do those episodes where we answer your questions, me and Miles. So getting some cool questions, hit hit us up on those. Follow Thomas Slavik on Instagram on the Street Race World Tour. There's clearly some exciting stuff which he's not letting on there. So, uh, yeah, till the next one, you know what to do. Peace out.